I'd like to begin just a series of messages entitled Things That Worked. Things That Worked. It might be about three messages. It would take me a whole lot more messages to tell you about things that didn't work. <laughs> All right, but as you know, most of you know, I'm ending 40 years of ministry here as the lead pastor of this church in a couple of weeks, and and I want to bring a message that I hope will help people and pastors. Uh, a lot of people listen to the sermons uh, from this pulpit through different means, like Sermons Inc. and Facebook and, and uh, YouTube, th- all the, the kind of stuff. I, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of hoping some pastors will listen. Uh, and uh, just maybe I could speak a little bit from some wisdom and experience that I have had over the years. But... Uh, I do really mean that. I, I could speak a whole lot longer on things that didn't work and uh, things that failed. And, uh, but some things worked, and some things worked for a long time. And I want to give you about three of those today, and, and I think there's going to be about ten of them all together uh, in this, these series of messages of things that worked. And I know in some way they'll work for you, too. They might apply. They might not. But... Um, I hope uh, that uh, this will be a help to other churches and pastors, as I said. Uh, number one is marriage. Number one is marriage. And you may think, what in the world does that have to do with the ministry? It has everything to do with the ministry. Look at verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Uh, The two main things for those in the ministry, pastors, are the word of God and prayer. Those are the two main things. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, the apostles in the church Jesus left, the one he started, said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Those are the two main things in a pastor's life, in his ministry. He must give himself continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And if pastors aren't careful, they can get so involved in so many things business things and and property and all kinds of things, that they will neglect the main things. And one of the things that I've tried to do for 40 years is to keep the main thing the main thing. And my focus has always been trying to be on prayer and the ministry of the word, as it says there in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. We will give ourselves continually to prayer And to the ministry of the word. I've heard of pastors who claim they don't even have five minutes a day to pray. Something is all wrong. Something is all wrong in that ministry. If they don't have time to pray and they're rushing off to the Christian school because they're the administrator there and they're doing this and this and this, running around, and they don't have time for personal prayer before God. But what is the sense of being in the ministry 
And what is the sense of praying if your prayers are hindered? If your prayers are hindered. That word hindered there is an amazing word in verse 7, the last word in the verse. It says that your prayers be not hindered. This, this, this word is absolutely brutal. In other places in our King James Bible, the Greek word for hindered is translated hewn down or cut off. And in those illustrations, John the Baptist once talked about taking an axe to a tree. And he says the tree is hewn down. You cut down the tree because it's not bearing any fruit. That's what the word hindered here means, that their prayers be not hindered or hewn down. It also means cut off. Jesus said on several occasions about how serious we should get about overcoming our sins and addictions. He said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right feet offend, foot offends you, cut it off. He says it would be better for you to hop into heaven, lame and mangled up, than to jump both feet into hell and both your hands. Now, he wasn't talking about mutilating our bodies. He was just saying, look, don't let anything, don't let any sin. I mean, there's people, I've met people who say, I'd like to come to Christ, but I know if I do, I'm going to have to give this up. Give it up. Give it up. For eternity's sake. For your soul's sake. It's not worth it, no matter how much you enjoy it. Give it up if that keeps you from coming to Christ. But anyways, those words, cut it off. Hew it down. It's the same Greek word as the word hindered here. And before I ever became a pastor, and I knew that if I became a pastor, my two main focuses would have to be prayer and the ministry of the word. If you'll study, there's, there's many verses in the Bible that tell us about certain things that hinder prayer. And one of them here is marriage. Marriage. Uh, the Lord says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Talking about your wife. And he says three things to us. Now, this is not written to pastors, by the way. I'm, I'm using it for pastors today, hoping it will help them. And what I'm saying to pastors today is, is, is this, that if you're, if, you're, if you're struggling in your marriage, forget about prayer. Work on your marriage. Get that fixed. Then go back to prayer. But work on your marriage. Be an intentional husband. If, if it hasn't gone well up till today, that's the great thing about Sunday. It's a day of renewal. Amen. We can start all over. Uh, that's one of the reasons why God calls us to gather every Sunday is we can start all over. You might say, well, I sure blew it last week. Well, today's Sunday, a new day, a new week, first day of the week. You haven't done anything wrong yet this week. I haven't either, and you, maybe you haven't been a, a good husband, or maybe you, you, def, you never learned. You know, I never learned anything until I started studying the Bible. And I want you to notice about three things here, uh, husbands and pastors. It, it says, first of all, be an intentional husband. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Know what you're doing. Knowledge, study, being a husband.
I'm far from perfect, but this was something that I, I said, okay, Lord, if I get in the ministry, I want to be able to see my prayers answered. So I better keep this in biblical order here and be an intentional husband. Anyone can be a husband. All I got to do is get married. Uh, and you're a husband. But to be an intentional husband means to dwell with them according to knowledge. Go through the Bible. And there's so much in the Bible. I even wrote a booklet about it. Things that I learned. I wrote it for myself, but I hope it'll help you. And I'm far from the perfect husband, but I have tried to be an intentional husband all these 40 years. Um, Dwell with them according to knowledge. You'd be amazed. Do Do you know the 12 responsibilities of a husband according to the Word of God? Do you know them? Have you studied them out? Well, get the book. And uh, there they are in the scriptures. And it's, it's quite a job. Now, A, we need to be intentional husbands. B, we need to honor our wives. Giving honor unto the wife. That's what it says. What does honor mean? To exalt, to lift up. Uh, I call it making her a queen or making her a princess. Not a doormat that you wipe your feet on, not a a waitress that you bark out commands whenever you need a cup of coffee or something. That's not honoring your wife as the weaker vessel. Honor means to to uh, praise her, to exalt her, to, to lift her up, honor her. Over in the book of Proverbs, it tells us in chapter 31 and verse 28, her children arise up and call her blessed her husband also, and he praiseth her. He praiseth her. He, he honors her. Uh, praise is like putting fuel in the gas tank of your wife's life. It keeps her going. She needs praise. Verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. And so, we're supposed to pray. There's only two, two beings that I know of in the Old Testament. I've searched it out. There's only two beings in the Old Testament we're supposed to praise. God and your wife. Praise God and praise your wife. And so I went about to do that intentionally. Intentionally. I didn't just hope it happened or I said, oh, of course she knows that. I'm God's gift to women. Of course my wife knows that. No, I never thought about that at all that way. I said I'm going to intentionally honor her. I'm going to intentionally, I bought a little house for her, and I decided I was going to try to turn it into a castle. Still trying. (laughs) But um, I I, I really put a lot of effort into that, and um, she's always been someone that, if she just even indicates that she wants something done, I try to get at it right away and stick with it until it's finished and it's done. And then there's a third thing here, and and, and in my opinion, these three words, I'm sorry, these seven words in verse 7, 1 Peter 3, are the most beautiful description of marriage I've ever read anywhere in seven words. Here they are, heirs together of the grace of life. 
heirs together of the grace of life. This thing called marriage is a together thing. Uh, She is supposed to benefit from this just as much as I am of the grace of life. That's a, I got to keep moving along here today. I know I do with these three points, but, but I've I've always wanted that for my wife, that, that we would be heirs together and any blessing I get, I want to have her enjoy it and, and bestow it on her and, and I mean even something so tangible as money. If I go out and preach somewhere and they give me an honorarium, I split it with her when I get home. I give her half you know, or, or something and, and I just try to, try to be a blessing uh, to her. And as a result, and I, I want to say this to the glory of God, please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say right now. But for the last year, For the last 40 years, my prayer life has been an uninterrupted success. I am no longer shocked when God answers my prayers. I'm shocked if he doesn't. And many of you have been able to hold on to the coattails of my faith and be blessed for years and years and years. God answers my prayers. And I don't give lip service to prayer either. Brethren, I pray. That's what God has called me to do. And I really believe that one of the reasons why I've seen 40 years of prayer being nothing but a blessing is because of the decision I made before I got married that I was going to be an intentional husband. Intentional. I wasn't going to sacrifice my wife for the ministry. Wasn't going to do it. As far as I'm concerned, she's my first ministry. And I take care of her. And God sees that. You see, when I was a teenage boy, I prayed God would give me a wife. I didn't think there was any woman in her right mind who would marry me. So it would take a miracle. But God gave me a wife in answer to prayer. Exactly what I needed. Wonderful, wonderful wife. And I prayed to God for a wife. God gave me a wife. Now here's how it works. Now I go and pray for something else. And God says, well, you asked for this and you took good care of it. I think I'll give you this. And 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 if we're good stewards of what God gives us in answer to prayer, and then we praise him for it. My wife, I think, gets a little tired of me praising uh, her publicly, but I have a pulpit. You don't. I have a pulpit. You don't. So. But, I, but I, I really mean this. I do this intentionally. I do this, I, I've tried, and I'm talking about on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. I'm always asking the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me to be a good husband. And I believe because of that, this is one, I don't have a life verse as a pastor. I have a bunch of life verses, and this is one of them. This is one of these that, verses that just so profoundly affected me. 
It was like God took it out of the pages of the Bible like a sledgehammer and hit me right between the eyes with it and said, Art, I'm not going to give you any leniency in this area. None. I've given you a wife. She's my daughter. She's my daughter. That's what God said to me. She's my daughter. She's my daughter before you married her. She's going to be my daughter after your marriage is dissolved by death or the rapture. You take care of her. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I promised her dad, too, Roy, before he died. And when, the day I married her, I said, Roy, I'm going to do my best to take care of your daughter. And I believe God has blessed that. That is one thing that has worked in ministry. Pastor Barron, I don't care if anyone criticizes you. take time for your wife. You do. I've taken my wife to all 50 states. Didn't always have the money to do it, but I came up with a way. Came up with a way. And we, we've had some good times. Had some good times. Number two, fasting. Fasting. Something else that has worked all of these years has been fasting. I want to show you a verse, again, that profoundly affected my life, and I hope it will help you pastors. And that is Matthew 17 and verse number 21. Matthew 17 and verse 21. That's your first book in the New Testament. And going back to point one, husbands start today. I mean, it's, man, I didn't know that about being a husband, dwelling with knowledge and honoring her and being heirs together of the grace of God. This is, this is for her too, to benefit as much as me. I didn't know that. Well, start today. That's the great thing about God. You can start any time. Start any time. You can start over. Fasting. Here's one of those verses that profoundly influenced me years ago and has helped not just me, but our church. Many in our church are a fasting people. Fasting people. Matthew 17, 21, Jesus said, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now this is the story of the demon-possessed boy. Oh, how sad it is when children are demon-possessed. But we see it everywhere today. And there's not much help for them but in God. I know that some people, well-meaning people, just dope them up, you know. Turn them into little zombies with drugs. It's the only way to control them. But there's a greater God in heaven who can help those that are demon-possessed. And if you don't believe in demon-possession, you don't believe in the Bible. Uh, because it's spoken. Now, the story is this man has a demon-possessed son. He don't know how it happened. The devil just picked on his son and got into him, a demon-possessed, throwing him in the fire, trying to burn him to death, throwing him in the water, trying to drown him, choke him to death. And this father comes to Jesus and said, I brought my son to your disciples, and that they couldn't help him. And so Jesus said, bring him to me, and Jesus cast the devil out of him. And the boy was okay from that point on. The power of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, the disciples came up to Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast them out? Why did we fail? I, I like it when men who have failed ask good questions. That's humility. And... Uh, us adult men got to be humble enough to say, boy, I failed, or something didn't work there. 
God, what is it? Show me and be humble and God will show you. And he's, he told him, you lack two things. You lack faith and you lack fasting. He said, you didn't have faith. You didn't believe and you didn't fast. He said, because howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And I realize, and many of you have realized this, that there are some situations where prayer is not enough. Prayer is not enough. And so there has to be fasting. Now, God got a hold of me with this truth. Before I was a pastor, I used to fast. And I can say this, and you know, I'm sure the Lord would be my witness, but in the last 40 years... I have spent about one day every week of my life fasting. Now that means that on that day during the week, I didn't eat food. Uh, Perhaps for the whole day, most cases sometimes I missed a couple meals, sometimes just one. But there was a particular person on my heart that day that I was praying for. Or there was a particular situation in the church that I was praying for or a missionary that I knew or or we had a need here uh, or one of our church plants or something but I have found a cause every week of my life to spend a day without eating food where I have tried to pray for that situation or that particular person And all I could say is that for 40 years, we've seen unexplainable things happen that have helped people. I I think we've seen demonically possessed people delivered, saved in their normal right minds, their lives changed. That's been wonderful, tangible things tangible things. We've purchased seven properties for cash. We've sent $4 million out to the mission field. We've renovated buildings, started congregations, found pastors. I, Pastor Gullo hopes to be up here in a, a two or three weeks to pastor. And, and, and I believe, and this, is, this has been just one of the goals of my life, has been that these church plants, I've prayed and I've fasted and said, Lord, I'd like to see everyone have a congregation and a pastor who can pastor that church for at least the next 25 years by the time I'm done. And we see Pastor Lewis over at Hilltop Baptist Church, Pastor Shutt out at the Countryside Baptist Church, Pastor Barron here at Faith Bible, and Pastor Gullo's coming up to pastor the Brightway Baptist Church, and I believe all four of them are young enough that they could spend 25 more years quality uh, in the ministry. And I, that testimony I'm sharing with you in a day and age when churches literally go 5, 10, 12 years before they can find a pastor. Churches closing down because they couldn't find one. And there's been a lot of unexplainable things. A lot of unexplainable things because of that. Now, I'll be honest with you, fasting's no fun. 
Nobody says, oh, good, I get to fast today. You're hungry, and if you, you, if you think you've conquered your flesh, you're so spiritual, Mr. Spiritual and Mrs. Spiritual, I want to encourage you to fast for a day or two or three. I've never been one of those pastors who's fasted for a week or three weeks and, and praise the Lord for those pastors and people who do that. Amen. That's biblical, too. For several years, I fasted two days a week. And uh, you get a headache. Your throat gets dry. Your tongue gets thick. Your flesh starts screaming for you to eat. But you say, no, this is more important. This person needs God's help. This marriage needs God's help. These kids, these prodigals. In Matthew chapter number 6, if you'll turn there. It says in verse 16, and here's another verse that jumped out. The other one, Jesus said this kind. There's some cases that are so bad, prayer is not enough. You've got to fast. And so I decided I'm going to fast every week. Every week I'm going to fast. I just decided that. Done it for 40 years. Gained weight. Don't worry about that. Um, and just, just see now. The thing about fasting too is you don't see immediate results. But there's sometimes 10 years later I've looked back and I said, wow, God did that. I remember when that was an issue. I remember that. I mean, my wife and I are rejoicing just in a particular person we know who's getting married this year. That when She's marrying into a wonderful Christian family. She couldn't do better. But when we met her, wasn't in this church, but when we met her in one of our other churches, she was a mess. She was like, wow, what is wrong with this girl? But we prayed and fasted. God saved her. God transformed her, and, and I get to be a part in her wedding, marrying one of the finest Christian young men you could possibly meet this summer. I've seen things like that. So have you. Some of you pray and fast. This text here, I, I didn't even think, I never heard of fasting. Probably for 12, 13 years being saved, I never heard of it. And then I read this one day in verse 16, Matthew 6, Moreover, when ye fast... Jesus didn't say, if you fast. He said, moreover, when you fast. When you fast. Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. In other words, they're, they're not going to, they go around, you know, in the, you know, they're walking around like this. Wait, what's wrong? I'm fasting. Fasting. Now the Lord said, don't do that. But when you fast, anoint thine head, wash your face, that thou appear not unto men to fast. So you're going on with your work, your job, going through life. Nobody knows you're fasting, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And here it is, brethren, fasting works. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Fasting works. Talking about things that work. God says, you fast in secret, I'll see it, I'll reward you openly. 
And everyone will say, that man's been blessed by God, or that woman's been blessed by God. Because God will make it open how blessed they've been. Fasting. Now, I know some of you are on medicine, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't try it if I were you. I understand that. Maybe you could give up TV. Amen. Shut that thing off for a week. Go on a fast or the internet or whatever we do, movies and all that kind of stuff. Just, just give up some sleep. Give up an hour of sleep. Say, I'm not, I usually go to bed at 10. I'm not going to bed until 11. I'm going to spend this hour. I'm going to give up this hour and pray. Caring. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to finish with this today. Whenever we do this, it works. Whenever we don't do it, it doesn't work. And that is congregational care. Pastors that may be listening in the future, and any of you dear people in churches, maybe get your pastor to watch this. I hope it will help them. I'm giving you 40 years of experience here. I, I know a lot of things that didn't work. I'm sharing you things that did work. Marriage, intentionally being an intentional husband. Fasting. Going without food. And third of all, a church that will have congregational care for each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, this is one of those verses that's profoundly affected me. As a pastor, it says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. It is a cultural thing in America to let pastors be the one who cares for everybody. And that's why they burn out. That's why they burn out. But if the congregation can be taught how to care one for another, and the congregation is taught to be caring, I've seen that whenever we practice that around here, it works. It makes a difference. It says in Jude chapter 1 and verse 22, and others have compassion making a difference. Making a difference. It's like the lady that went to church. I told you this story. It wasn't our church, but she went four weeks in a row. Uh, her, her son was a drug addict. Her husband was in prison. And she went to this church hoping for help. She, didn't, she wasn't saved. She just was looking for help. She went to a church in Kansas City. True story. The first Sunday she was there, absolutely nobody talked to her just ignored her completely. Second Sunday, everyone ignored her. Third Sunday, everyone ignored her. I don't know why she went back. Because usually the first time, if nobody talks to you, people say, I'm going back there. Nobody cares about me. Fourth Sunday, she said, God, if you're real, I'm going to go to this church one more time. I'm going to give them one more chance if you're real. If not, I'll leave. And she said, I need help. I don't know what to do. She sat down like she did every other week, and this little old lady came over and sat next to her and said, Hi, my name is, and told her her name. What's yours? And the lady told her her name. And she began to talk to her about things, and then she finally, this is before church ever started, she finally said to the lady, Is there anything in your life right now that I could pray about? The lady burst out in tears said, my son's a drug addict, my husband's in prison, I don't know what to do. And she said, let me pray for you right now. 
And as soon as the service is over, we're going to go talk to the pastor. The pastor was busy. This is a large church, 500 people. He couldn't get to everybody. That's what I'm saying. Congregations got to care for each other. Any one of us can do what that old lady did. Meet somebody at church. I don't know you. What is your name? Have you been attending here long or is this your first time? Oh, it's your first time. Well, let me show you around. We got bathrooms over here, nursery for the baby, crying room over here. We're going to start in here for 10 minutes and then we're going to divide into our classes and make them feel at home. And then give them a visitor's packet. And on the back, there's a place for prayer. And you can say, boy, is there anything we can pray for you about at least? And they oftentimes write prayer requests down there and we can pray for them. Now, they may never come back again, but they'll know that church cared for them. Somebody cared. Nope, they didn't just ignore her. My wife have been, and I have been in churches in all 50 states. You wouldn't believe how many churches we have been in where nobody talked to us. Except who? The pastor. God. Yeah, the pastor. It's not God, but the pastor talked to us. And God talked to us through the pastor. You know, and we'd see the pastor doing what I call hurdles. You know what hurdles are? You're running hurdles. And he's running over the steps trying to get to you, running over the chairs. Hi, hi, how are you? I'm glad you're here. Nobody else is talking. And we've seen that over and over and over again. So this lady goes forward and gets saved because some, someone cared for her. She gets saved. The old lady says, Pastor, do you think you can help in any way? And he said, absolutely. And he began to visit her husband in the prison, talking to him, saying, your wife's coming to church. Just wanted to make friends with you. Finally led him to Christ. The son sees the change in his mother's life. He starts coming to church. He gets saved. And God delivers him from his drug addiction. The father gets out of prison and starts attending that church. And a whole family was made whole. And a man wrote a book about that and other stories. The book's title, I don't even have it anymore. It was called this, You Are a Miracle Waiting to Happen. And that means that if you'll just start to talk to somebody, God will join you in that conversation. And he'll help bring about a miracle in that person's life. But you got to say something. You got to say something. I would encourage you to bring a notebook or buy a notebook, spiral notebook, rule lines. And every time you go to church, find out somebody you don't know and just go home, write it down in your book. Maybe a little bit about something you, you knew and just start praying for that person. Next week, I'm serious about this. Next week, add somebody else's name to your notebook and someone else, and just get around and meet people. Don't, I know, I know we're, we're comfort creatures. I understand that. I like to sit in the same chair, same place. I understand that. But, the, but we're in the ministry. All of us, not just pastors. And it's not enough to be a friendly church. I mean, if you gave me a choice between a friendly doctor and a caring doctor, I'll choose the caring doctor every time. I mean, if he's just friendly, wants to go golfing with me, play tennis or whatever, 
That's nice, but I want a doctor who says, hey, this is your problem, and here's how to fix it. And he cares for me, and I get better. I've had some doctors that have just literally saved my life. And you know what? Every one of them was short with me in the office, but I didn't care. I didn't care. They gave me what I needed. They gave me what I needed. If they sat there and talked to me for an hour and we cut up and laughed and everything didn't help me, a caring church is better than a friendly church. Now, a friendly church is better than a non-friendly church, all right? but a caring church. Last month, February 14th, of all things, the Washington Post, this is, this is, this is novel right here. Uh, I think this is the first time I've ever quoted the Washington Post <laughs> from the pulpit. But uh, February 14th, they had an article, one out of three teenage girls in America is thinking about suicide. Man. Girls don't think that way. Life's too great. Man, alive, God has a plan for your life, a will for your life. You may meet the man of your dreams. You may have children. You may become what the Bible calls a joyful mother of children. There's other opportunities like never before. I don't know why in the world girls would be depressed today. But here's the point. All you church girls should find every new girl that walks in the doors and get around her and say, man, we're glad you're here today. Thank you for attending. God loves you. We're teen girls too. We've, we've come to learn God loves us. God cares about us. And God has a different life for us than what the world's offering. And you teen girls, and I'm just picking on you for a moment, you teen girls get around new teen girls that come here, you can make a difference. Compassion makes a difference. Jude chapter 1 and verse 22. And when it says that there be no schism in the body, that means there's no cracks that people can fall through. You've heard that saying, well, they fell through the cracks. Where are they? Well, they just fell through the cracks. Well, don't let them fall through the cracks. Talk to them. If everybody ministered, can you imagine? but that the members should have the same care one for another. And pastors, learn how to have a care ministry in your church. And church, we have a few people still involved in it. We need more. We need to revive that thing, stir that thing. I find that the care ministry is about the hardest thing to keep going in our church. You know why? Because we're selfish and proud and self-centered. And it's just not our nature. But we need to live above our nature and live a supernatural life according to the divine nature where all Jesus did was cared for people everywhere he went. I want to encourage you. I want to come back tonight and Sunday and just say, pray before you come and say, God, help me to be a blessing to someone else tonight. Man, just, just get out of your comfort zone and... Watch God start doing miracles in other people's lives through you. As you introduce them to God, the God that can help them. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, O Lord, so much for these years. Thank You for what has worked.
And Lord, we certainly know what has not worked. And uh, but these have worked, Lord. Marriage, fasting, caring for people, not just being friendly, the congregation caring. Those things have worked. Bless the rest of the messages. We pray as we uh, go forward. And, and, and may these messages also help prepare Pastor Barron uh, for the great uh, task and calling you've given him and others that may be listening. That this is experience talking. I, I'm nothing. You're everything, Lord, but these are things that have worked. And so now as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the piano begins to play a song of invitation. If you need to come and pray, maybe it's a good time for a restart in your marriage. That'd be a good thing to come pray about. God's house is a house of prayer. Let's be humble. Let's be humble. Must Jesus bear the cross alone? How about fasting? Say, Lord, that scares me, the idea of fasting. It can become a normal part of your schedule, I promise you. And boy, it can do things. You know people. You know people that are troubled, and prayer is not enough. Maybe you'd like to just come to this altar and mention their name before God's throne. Say, God, I know some troubled people. I know some troubled people and prayer is not enough. Lord, this week I'll go without a meal. Maybe a couple and just lift them up to the throne. Pray for God to work in them. Caring. We got some in the care ministry. We'll try to get that thing stirred up. But this time, Pastor Seth's going to come. Let's turn to page 161. 160. Must Jesus bear the cross alone? No. There's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. And as we sing, get ready for baptism. Maybe you'd come and pray. If you need to be saved, let him know, and somebody will talk to you about God's precious gift he has for you of salvation. Let's stand together.